for a single soul. Reaching a further and stepping in closer. Good day everyone and welcome to today's Living Life. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it here, but uh, my bachelor degree is actually in economics. So there was a time when I was like all about economics. I loved John Maynard Keynes and his theories and you know, I love talking about theories and economics and all that kind of stuff and statistics and all that. And um, there's a joke, I learned of a joke that is a very economist joke that I don't think anyone else really gets or finds funny, but I actually kind of find it funny. And I'll tell it to you, right? I'll test it. So, um, a physicist, a chemist, and an economist are stranded on an island. And they have no food. But, you know, it, like a giant box washes ashore with a bunch of canned food. And so they, yes, we're saved. But, wait, there's no way to open these cans. And so the physicist comes forward and says, wait, I have a solution. He goes to the beach, draws like a giant formula, and then he says, okay, now we can eat. And the solution was that, you know, they go to the top of, of a giant cliff and they throw um, the can and then because of the velocity and then the distance and so forth, it'll crash and then the cans will open. But of course, the food will all be on the ground and ruined, so they can't eat it anyway. So the chemist steps forward and says, wait, I have the solution. He goes to the beach, draws like a series of, of uh, calculations and formulas and, and he says, we can now eat and say, how? Everyone says, how? Well, we take the cans, it's made out of metal, we put it into the ocean water, which will over time corrode the chem, uh, you know, through its chemicals and so forth, and then it'll be open that we can eat. But that will take so long, so it's useless, it's, you know, whatever. So then finally, the economist steps forward and says, I have the solution. He goes to the beach, writes the longest formulas and, you know, calculations all day long, going at it, going at it, and he finally says, all right, we can eat for real now, we can eat. And they say, how, how, how did you do it? They, well, and the economist says, step one, assume we have a can opener. That is the joke. If you're an economist, you should be laughing right now. But the point of this joke, it's also mocking economists and other theorists who base their conclusions on unjustified or oversimplified assumptions. And today's oversimplified assumption is actually kind of like my joke, assume you're wicked. So let's read the passage and then we'll continue. Job chapter 20 verses 1 through 11. Then Zophar the Namathite replied, my troubled thoughts prompt me to answer, because I am greatly disturbed. I hear a rebuke that dishonors me, and my understanding inspires me to reply. Surely you know how it has been from of old, ever since mankind was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief, the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Though the pride of the godless person reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, Where is he? Like a dream he flies away, no more to be found, banished like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will not see him again. His place will look on him no more. 
His children must make amends to the poor. His own hands must give back his wealth. The youthful vigor that fills his bones will lie with him in the dust. So before I go on, I feel I need to justify and uh, defend and explain the joke from earlier. It's funny, kind of, because economists always have to make models of the economy. And they cannot account for everything, so they make models sometimes simpler, sometimes more complex. But they always begin with a set of assumptions that are often unrealistic or oversimplified. And that's what the joke is, that you assume that we have a physical can opener that they simply do not have. Now, again, like in the last two days, I want to begin by reading to you the paraphrased summary of Zofar's speech from the NIV application commentary that I think you know, is very helpful. It's been very helpful to me. So here, Zofar is saying, quote, you offend me. You know how the rules work. Your self-righteousness betrays you for all know that such pride characterizes the wicked. And so Zophar is seen as the theologian among the three friends, and he grounds his arguments in God's actions against the wicked. And we're going to see some of these actions explained in tomorrow's passage. Now, we, having privileged behind-the-scenes access from the first two chapters of Job, know that Job is not suffering the wrath of God because of what he did, as Zophar is saying. And, you know, and now you know, Zophar is accusing Job of spiritual or religious pride and false righteousness. Now, again, we see the friends observing Job's circumstances, but they end up with the wrong conclusions about everything. And, you know, we, there is a danger, we see the danger of such formulas that are often more humanistic than from God, as in it is human conclusions, human rules, human formulas. I was reminded of the story of Jesus healing the man that was born blind that we find in John chapter 9. And as John chapter 9 verse 1, he says, As he, that's Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. But see what the Pharisees um, have ingrained in their minds and hearts. And this is how they reply in verse 24 and afterwards. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. Very interesting, right? That the same phrase comes up here. We know that this man is a sinner, meaning Jesus. The man, the previously blind man, answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, the Pharisees, answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Now, doesn't Zophar sound just like the Pharisees here? And this is why I try to never refer to Christianity as a religion. I try to not use that word at all. Religion gives the idea of rules and regulations, and that's exactly how Zophar argues. With God, we cannot try to understand Him, to contain Him within our ability and capacity to understand. 
And when we try, all we are doing is making oversimplified assumptions that may well be unjust. Which was the heart of the hypothetical question that I asked in my video last month for October 2nd uh, for the passage Job, Job chapter 1 verses 6 to 12. The question was, would you worship God if he was evil? Right? Would you worship God if he was evil? This question challenges our oversimplified assumptions of God. Back to what should matter the most, which is, do you worship God? Do you worship God because He is God? Or do you worship God because of your preferred understanding or assumptions of God? Because He's good, because He gives me wonderful things, or because He blesses me, He gives me health, and so forth. I want to share another quote that has made a big impact on me. Quote, just because you are offended doesn't mean you are right. Just because you are offended doesn't mean you are right. In John chapter 9, we see the Pharisees being very offended by Jesus and the result of his ministry. And it's because it went against what they assumed and they believed was right. But for followers of Christ, I think there is a reverse lesson. You know, the last two days, I had a personal title for each passage, which I revealed in the application. And they were from Job's perspective from chapter 19. Today, I'll share it a little sooner. I will title today's passage, Judgmentalism in Suffering. And this will be from Zophar's perspective. We, as Christ followers, must always be sober-minded and sensitive that we do not become religious in our zeal for God like we see the Pharisees having become. So judgmentalism in the face of suffering. I think while we can be tempted to do so many things in the name of Christ, we have to remember what Jesus actually told us to do. Did he tell us to overhaul governments and the justice systems of the world? Did he command us to institute a Christian government in the world? Did he tell us to go and fight people and argue with people who live in ways that are unbiblical? Now, I say this carefully, and I do not mean that we should do nothing. I do not, you know, but everything that we do must be grounded on what Jesus told us to do. Otherwise, it becomes being judgmental. And what did Jesus tell us to do? He told us to love God and our neighbors. He told us to make disciples, to baptize people, and to teach them the gospel and the word of God. So I think the question for us today is, are there elements of spiritual judgmentalism in us that we need to be careful of? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and your revelations, God. Um, through the book of Job, Lord, uh, as difficult as it may seem, uh, there are so many nuggets of gospel. There are so many nuggets of um, just truth of ourselves in this book, Lord, and in this debate between Job and his friends. I pray uh, that as we approach the, your word, sober-minded and humbly, I pray that you would do your work in us and help us to love. Help us to do what you have commanded us to do in the way that you have commanded us to do, Lord. The message of Christ in the manner of Christ. I pray that that will be our meditation this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For a single soul, reaching a further and stepping in closer, see